Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Free speech. Where does free speech come from? Not 100% sure of the original birth of free speech, but we can go back as far as Greece, where there was presumed to be free speech. What about in America? Free speech is one of the unalienable rights. Free speech. Free speech is so important that when the states went back to amend the Constitution, after the Constitution had been ratified, they went back to amend the Constitution as part of the Bill of Rights. They insisted on free speech as part of the First Amendment. Or there'd be no constitution. Or there'd be no federal government. Or there'd be no president. Or Department of Homeland Security. Or anything of the sort. I never liked this Department of Homeland Security. I never liked the name Department of Homeland Security. And here it is. One of the biggest departments in the federal government. The biggest domestic government. uh, Department. That in HHS, I suppose. And now we have these these efforts with the government to monitor speech. If a government's monitoring speech, it wants to control speech. This has happened from time to time in our history. The difference is we used to believe that these were terrible, terrible, even grave errors on the part of presidents and congresses. Whether it was done by John Adams, our second president, to try and silence Thomas Jefferson. 
in the new Republican Party. The Civil War period, where some 200 newspapers were shut down. A hundred years ago, when Woodrow Wilson, the more modern period, actually imprisoned people who disagree with his position on the war. When FDR unleashed the IRS against his political opponents who would speak out against him, and that would include numerous newspaper publishers, and I could go on and on. These are very, very bad times in American history, but now, presumably, we've learned from this. And have you noticed how little the corrupt American media, a.k.a. the American Pravda, how little they've objected to this? It's conservatives, constitutionalists, who are objecting. And of course, they're appointing somebody is the Tsarina, may I say? I think I will. Nina Jokowitz. And we'll get to her in a minute. And she comes out of the out of the Wilson Center. And I touched on this yesterday. And I want to tell you about Woodrow Wilson in a little bit more detail. In addition to being a racist and a segregationist and a Democrat and a so-called progressive. And this is straight out of unfreedom of the press, but nonetheless, the facts are important. During the course of World War I, Woodrow Wilson, who'd been a leading progressive intellectual for decades, supported a series of congressional amendments that Congress added to the so-called Espionage Act, which collectively became known as the Sedition Act of May 16, 1918. Sedition Act. It was one of the acts passed under John Adams, you'll recall. And this act stated in part, whoever, when the United States is at war, shall willfully utter, print, write, or publish any disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language about the form of government of the United States or the Constitution of the United States, or the military or naval forces of the United States, or the flag of the United States, or the uniform of the Army or the Navy of the United States, into contempt, scorn, or disrepute, shall be punished by a fine of not more than $10,000, back then, it's big today, it was massive back then, or the imprisonment for not more than 20 years, or both provided that any employee or official of the United States government who commits any disloyal act or utters any unpatriotic or disloyal language or who, in an abusive and violent manner, criticizes the Army or Navy or the flag of the United States shall be at once dismissed from service. So it wasn't really opposition to the United States or the country. It's opposition to Woodrow Wilson, his administration and his party. Numerous opponents of Wilson's war policies were charged and imprisoned. In fact, Wilson had already instituted extensive measures to curtail press freedom. And I'm arguing this projects into freedom of speech. Christopher B. Daly, professor at Boston University, has written that during the lead up to America's interests in the World War I, the Wilson administration took immediate steps at home to curtail one of the pillars of democracy, press freedom 
by implementing a plan to control, manipulate, and censor all news coverage on a scale never seen in American history. Following the lead of the Germans and British, Wilson elevated propaganda and censorship to strategic elements of all-out war. Even before the U.S. entered the war, Wilson had expressed the expectation that his fellow Americans uh, would show what he considered loyalty. Wilson started one of the earliest uses of government propaganda. He waged a campaign of intimidation and outright suppression against those ethnic and socialist papers that continued to oppose the war. Taken together, these wartime measures added up to an unprecedented assault on press freedom. Wilson also created an elaborate domestic spy network, quote, to watch German immigrants and American radicals. Federal agents arrested hundreds for making anti-war speeches and sometimes for informal and private remarks. Eugene Debs, four-time presidential candidate for the Socialist Party, was arrested in June 1918 for suggesting during a speech the young American men were, quote, fit for something better than slavery and cannon fodder. Sentenced to 10 years in prison, he defiantly ran for president in 1920 from his jail cell in Atlanta and received almost a million votes. And during the war, more than 2,000 men and women were arrested for disloyal speech, and over 1,200 were jailed. Wilson also issued an executive order on April 13, 1917, establishing the Committee on Public Information, or CPI, a massive propaganda machine that would put the government in the business of actively shaping press coverage about the war. Wilson appointed a former journalist and loyal political supporter, George Creel, to lead the operation. The CPI was a veritable magnet for political progressives of all stripes, intellectuals, muckrakers, even some socialists, all sharing a sense of the threat of democracy posed by German militarism. The Wilson administration planted official news stories with media outlets, published an official government newspaper that was widely distributed, and secured free advertising and press publications. The CPI had a film division, foreign language newspaper division, advertising division, and speakers division. At the same time, the government severely limited press access to people and operations related to the war effort. The CBI was pervasive. The CPI mobilized 150,000 American word maestros to pitch America's involvement in the war. Give me a second. So I turn the page. As necessary and noble, commandeering the four minutes projectionists needed to change movie reels, Creel and his people trained 75,000 citizens to deliver seemingly impromptu, carefully coached, perfectly timed four-minute pro-war harangues. Creel would estimate his speakers delivered 755,190 talks and papered the country with 1,438 different posters. Now, the people surrounding Joe Biden and the people surrounding the secretary of DHS, I am certain they know what I just read to you. I am certain that they understand that Democrats, relatively recent Democrats, as history goes, have used the power of government to silence their opponents. Now, this administration doesn't need to silence the media. The media are in their back pocket. 
The media are the propaganda wing for the Democrat Party and this administration. The media are sufficiently corrupt that they don't have to silence the media. Some of the media, yes, which is why they go after Project Veritas, among others. But the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, and all their ilk are reliable. They're absolutely reliable. Big tech, other than Elon Musk, are absolutely reliable. The problem is there is a Fox. There is a conservative talk radio. There are people with independent websites. There are people who wish to speak out. And so now the direction is aimed at the individual, you. This ministry of truth. The framers of the Constitution would never believe in a ministry of truth. On the contrary, they believed in freedom of speech and they enshrined it in our Constitution. And the states demanded the same. We cannot allow this to go forward. We must resist it civilly and legitimately, legitimately at every step. But what should concern you is that the Democrat Party has really gone full-blown totalitarian with the support of a compliant, acquiescent, even celebratory press. A disinformation and misinformation governing board? Are you kidding me? Is that not shocking? And when we come back, I want you to know more about the woman who's appointed to run the enterprise. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Folks, I have great news for you today. Hillsdale College, the college that's reaching and teaching Americans about the Constitution, is giving away free copies of this vital document, but only while supplies last. So claim your free pocket-sized Constitution right now at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Every American should have their own copy of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. These days, with so much of our liberty under threat, it's more critical than ever for citizens to read and understand them. My favorite school in America, Hillsdale College, is doing something. They want to give away one million copies of our founding documents this year. To claim yours, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. Tell them where you'd like your pocket constitution mailed, and they'll send yours free. I want all my listeners to have one of Hillsdale's pocket constitutions. They're essential. Hurry, they've only produced a limited number. Reserve your copy at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, this whole thing is unconstitutional. So a number of conservative and libertarian groups need to bring a lawsuit and just blow it out. It's unconstitutional, but it's the mindset of the American Marxists that you need to keep in mind. Nina Jankowicz. Jankowicz. She's 33 years old. This is the person they're making director of the Disinformation Governance Board. 
And, you know, they don't even understand what they just said. The disinformation governance board. It means this board is spreading disinformation, right? You're governing disinformation. But anyway, their illiteracy aside. I want you to listen to what she said back in 2020 on YouTube. Cut five, go. Imagine that, you know, with President Trump right now calling all of these news organizations that have uh, inconvenient for him stories that they that they're getting out there that he's calling fake news and now lashing out at platforms. I would never want to see our executive branch have that sort of power. Um, and that's why, you know, the legislative process with our duly elected uh, officials is really important. That sort of consultative rulemaking process. Um, and we can't just govern by executive order anymore. I think I'll leave it there. First of all, she sounds like a complete dimwit. And she is. She is certifiable idiot. That's number one. Number two, she is a hardcore leftist Marxist. Number three, she's a hardcore partisan Democrat, as are most Marxists. And this is the person they want to put in charge of monitoring Misinformation and disinformation. Not one plug nickel should be spent by the federal government on this enterprise. Not one. I want you parents who are disgusted with what's happening to your children in our public school system to understand. You're going to be devoured by this. I want you folks to understand who believe in the Bill of Rights whether it's freedom of speech, freedom of association, the right to bear arms, due process rights, that the government can't take your property without remuneration, on and on and on, lawful warrants, I want you to understand that this is going to devour you. I want you folks to understand if you're somewhat anti-authoritarian, and that means you want to make decisions about your own children, or your own body, and I'm not talking about abortion because that's two bodies, but your own body. You want to make decisions about your own private property and so forth and so on. If you go up against a government that is all-encompassing in terms of your liberties, a government that is everywhere, that's in your bedroom, that's in your automobile, that's in the classroom where your children are, and you dare to speak up and you're in the opposition... You are going to be devoured by this. This is what totalitarian regimes do, whether they are Marxist or whether they are fascist. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever. And it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why I'm primus. Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today 
at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillstone, I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. In a world of pathetic liberal potholes, he's a truck full of hot constitutional asphalt. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. I don't know what's worse, having an out-of-the-closet radical moron or a tight-lipped, sort of proper bureaucrat run something like this, because both are incredibly dangerous. Now, I spent a lot of time on this yesterday, but you can never spend enough time on it. So we've pulled together some clips of this woman, in addition to the one you just heard. And I want you to know what the Biden administration is really planning. The Biden administration is adopting autocratic totalitarian techniques. And it's doing it in many respects, whether it's our classrooms with the attorney general putting out that memo, where he wants to bring in the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Criminal Division, the Civil Rights Division, the National Security Divisions of the Justice Department against parents and local school boards, where he brings lawsuits against Republican legislatures that tries to stop them from being Republican legislatures, where he refuses to enforce immigration laws in violation of Article 2 of the Constitution, where the executive branch, the president in specific, is supposed to ensure take care that the laws are properly executed. I go on and on and on. And then this war against Donald Trump is war against peaceful protesters, not violent protesters, peaceful protesters on January 6th and and so forth. Nina Jankowicz was a regular figure on the other cable channels, channels because she fits right in. She fits right in with the radical kook hosts and the radical kook guests. And until these massive corporations and the corporatists who run these boards of directors and the CEOs and the rest pull their chain and get these platforms under control, this will continue. This is, in fact, tyranny. Now, here she is, the Director of Disinformation Governance Board on May 2020 excusing Biden for having uh, Ukraine's top prosecutor fired. Cut three, go. As a result, the vice president delivered a message that Shokin needed to be fired and other reforms pursued if Ukraine wanted its next tranche of IMF funds and a U.S. loan guarantee. This is called diplomacy, not extortion. That's it. Now you can get back to your Netflix and your Zoom happy hours and lots and lots of washing your hands. Really? Now you can get back to your marijuana. Here she is, October 5, 2020. Go. I think there's a general concern about Trump supporters potentially showing up armed to the polls and these sorts of voter suppression, voter intimidation, that's illegal everywhere. Of course, there are, you know, rules for party observers, partisan observers to be in the polling station. But in 40 states, you need special accreditation to do that. And I think there's just, again, a widespread fear that, you know, uh, groups of irregular supporters are going to show up at the polls to intimidate people and, quote unquote, watch. And that's very disturbing. And yet that didn't happen, did it? 
fact, I remember that did happen with the Black Panther Party in Philadelphia. But that never happened. Remember, this will be the director of the Board of Disinformation Governance. Cut five, go. First of all, color revolutions have nothing to do with race. Yeah, right. The term was coined in the early 2000s when countries like the Republic of Georgia and Ukraine had spontaneous, peaceful, democratic revolutions that had colorful nicknames. In 2003, the Georgian opposition protested the opening of a new session of parliament based on fraudulent election results. They did it while carrying roses, hence the Rose Revolution. In 2004 and 2005, Ukrainians protested their own rigged election. Candidate Viktor Yushchenko's campaign branding was orange, hence the orange revolution. You get the idea. Color revolutions have earned a bad rap, though, mostly thanks to Vladimir Putin, because they brought in democratically-minded governments that threatened Russian influence in the region. Putin likes to suggest they are CIA-organized. That is not true. Believe it or not, sometimes people get fed up with having their voices silenced for decades. Putin's narratives intentionally rob protesters of agency. They discount the grievances that brought them to the streets, risking their lives. And ultimately, they undermine the resulting governments. And now we're seeing the same narrative cropping up here in the United States. Here's why it doesn't fit. First of all, in case we've forgotten, protest is a democratic right. You are entitled to it no matter your opinion. Second of all, color revolutions happen in autocracies. When people are fed up with the indignities of an entrenched regime, while we have witnessed some democratic backsliding here in the United States, we are not an autocracy. We still have checks and balances. We still enjoy democratic rights. Certainly, we are not Georgia in 2003, Ukraine in 2004, or Belarus today. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, these events usually happen in response to a rigged election. Even today, we should still have the confidence that our votes will be counted fairly and accurately. I do. And as a reminder, there's only one candidate who is tweeting about rigged election results. So, in short. You're such a putz. I seem to remember the 2016 election and Russia collusion being pushed, now we know, by Hillary Clinton. The DNC. The Democrat lawyers, Sussman, Elias, and their law firm, Perkins Coie. By the media. Virtually all of the media. Just like the leaks from the January 6th committee that are treated like the truth because they want it to be the truth. It serves their narrative. It serves their end game. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, it's Donald Trump's fault. Donald Trump's fault. Look what Woodrow Wilson did. I read it to you earlier in the program. And there's more in the book. I can't read the whole thing. Look at what FDR did to, to certain news organizations, the use of the IRS, and same with John Kennedy. Absolutely incredible. But it's Trump's fault, because Trump spoke openly and correctly and accurately about the state of the American media, fake and corrupt, and it proves it every damn day. Now, I want to go to cut eight. We're not going to do the song you've heard all over TV where she's on TikTok uh, singing the uh, Sound of Music song. 
and I assume we have dinged this where it needs to be dinged, Mr. Producer. Here she is uh, during a play, not sure of the date, and she's singing as follows. Cut eight, go. Whatever. She's highly qualified, isn't she? She's a radical nut. First of all, this position must be destroyed. It must be destroyed. This entire idea must be destroyed. But I want to continue what I was talking about, about what this administration is doing in suing Republican legislatures, because they don't believe in the Tenth Amendment and they don't believe the states have any rights. This just came out from the Department of Justice. Somehow I wound up on their press list. I certainly am not objecting because it shows me much of what they're doing. The Justice Department today filed a complaint challenging a recently enacted Alabama law that denies necessary medical care to children based solely on who they are and that threatens criminal prosecution and jail time to doctors, parents, and anyone else who provides or causes that care. Gee, what could it be? The United States complaint alleges that the new law's felony ban on providing certain medically necessary care to transgender minors violates the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. In other words, minors against the law to change their gender. Minors. And they make criminal those who do it. If they're adults, it's one thing. If they're minors, it's quite another. And so the Federal Department of Justice is now suing the state of Alabama, the legislature and the governor, suing the people of Alabama, claiming that under the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, this is unconstitutional. You know what the 14th Amendment actually does? The 14th Amendment was a post-Civil War amendment to ensure that former slaves, Africans, former slaves, African Americans, were provided the same rights as everybody else. Of course, it had absolutely nothing to do with transgenderism, certainly not with respect to minors. But this is how the language of the Constitution is changed. I'm certain that when this amendment was offered, passed by two-thirds of both houses of Congress, sent to the states, ratified by at least three-fourths of the states, that they never had this in mind. Nobody had this in mind. The law makes it a felony, the department says, for any person to engage in or cause specified types of medical care for transgender minors. Thus discriminates against transgender youth by denying them access to certain forms of medically necessary care. It's the kind of care that prevents kids from entering puberty and other acts 
And so they do not want their minors to be treated as guinea pigs. That's the state of Alabama. It has nothing to do with the Equal Protection Clause. It has nothing to do with slavery. It has nothing to do with anything but the radical left agenda. And that's where the Department of Justice is. This is what I'm talking about. This is all one and the same. A Department of Disinformation Governments, a Department of Justice that brings lawsuits like this, a Department of Justice that issues a memo to go after and target parents. This is what we're up against. I'll be right back. Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Just to be clear and more accurate, so what the law does is it prevents um, the use of a quote-unquote gender-affirming medications, this is the AP, to treat transgender people under the age of 19. They're talking about minors, is what the concern is in the state. And um, this matter was already in front of a federal judge. This matter is already being litigated, and the Department of Justice has now intervened as well. That's what's taking place here. The Department of Justice. And I'm just pointing out how incredibly politicized, how, how this Department of Justice, how this administration is trying to ram the radicalized cultural agenda down the throats of this nation, trying to enshrine it in the Equal Protection Clause in any part of the Constitution it can while it trashes the Constitution. And here we are confronted with a mis- and disinformation governing board? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Ron DeSantis at a press conference today. Cut one, go. As if they don't have enough issues to deal with, they now have an idea, and I honestly thought this was just a belated April Fool's joke, but they are actually going to create, in the Department of Homeland Security, a Bureau of Disinformation. It's basically a ministry of truth. And what they want to do is they want to be able, 
to put out false narratives without people being able to speak out and fight back. They want to be able to say things like Russia collusion and, and perpetuate hoaxes and then have people like us be silenced. They want to be able to advocate for COVID lockdowns. They want to be able to advocate for school closures, things that are not supported by the evidence. But then when you speak out, uh, they want to stifle dissent. And so we reject this bureau in the state of Florida. So you can see the real civil libertarians certainly today are the conservatives. Cut to go. But clearly, uh, our entire principles that the country was founded on, uh, you cannot have a ministry of truth in this country. And so let's get real here. Let's let's make sure that we're doing things to benefit uh, Floridians and Americans. Uh, but we're not going to let Biden get away with this one. So we'll be fighting back. So, uh, Mr. Producer, cut ten. Jen Psaki's asked about this by Jackie Heinrich of the Fox News Channel. Cut ten. Go. Outlined a lot of you know efforts that sound very worthy, but you've got someone from the home, Department of Homeland Security telling people how they should vote. How do you explain that to critics who say that doesn't sound right to me? Uh, this is an individual who will overse be overseeing the work of that board. Personnel decisions are up to the Department of Homeland Security. I just outlined the extensive history and background this individual has. Okay, first of all, personnel decisions, having been an associate director of presidential personnel, for a position like that is not simply left to the department. They're cleared through the White House. So she's a liar in every respect, this Pisaki. A liar in every respect. And I'm not going to play the long diatribe and where she tries to pin this all on Trump, if you can believe that. Trump. Absolutely unbelievable what this administration does. Big business, big meat. Big oil, big food processors, Putin, Trump, the pandemic. They take responsibility for nothing where their fingerprints and their DNA are all over it. They take responsibility for nothing. I don't think it's going to work. The economy is going to hell faster than anybody even thought it was capable of going to hell. Considering that Joe Biden inherited an economy that was growing that was becoming vigorous, that was setting records left and right in the correct direction. Now more bad news. And of course, it's everybody's fault but Joe Biden and his staff and the Democrats. They will pay a price for this. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. During the break, I was reviewing again in Unfreedom of the Press. Those of you who have it, I would encourage you to go to the 
page is a chapter that begins on page 95 and go through it and see how the Democrat Party has been anti-free speech really since its existence because it's anti-Americanism. That's its approach to things. I wish I had more time, but I don't have more time. I really need that fourth hour, Mr. Producer, you know. I very much need it, uh, but I want to move on. And by the way, don't forget to watch Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday. If you can't watch it live, please DVR at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. With Peter Schweitzer on. Really uh, a fascinating discussion into matters many of you have not heard of before, as well as, uh, and by the way, the Bidens won't like it and McConnell's won't like it either. And Fred Flights, who I've known for decades, former CIA, former Trump National Security Council, uh, just a terrific guy, and you'll want to hear what he has to say as well. I want to talk about Ukraine and Russia and so forth. There was a piece in the London Times by David Aronovich. He was a very, very intelligent man, David Aronovich. And he says it better than I can. He says it was all Western propaganda that Russia was about to invade Ukraine. It was all Western propaganda once the invasion had begun, to call it an invasion. It was all Western propaganda that the ebbing Russian tide revealed the summary killing and torture of civilians and looting. Yet for all our so-called propaganda, no one's been more surprised than the West. Terrible things happen in war, of course. We've only to think of the family in Kabul obliterated last summer by an American drone strike because they'd been mistaken for terrorists planning an attack on the airport. But even so, there's been a particular quality to the behavior of Russian troops in Ukraine. And also, as far as we can tell from recordings of intercepted conversations between some of them and their relatives back home, a casual brutality towards all Ukrainians. It's a callousness that is extended to the treatment of their own casualties, with little effort made to rescue the wounded or recover the dead. All this has shocked us, and the question that begs to be answered is, why are they like this? One answer is they are reacting to the continuous depiction in Russia of Ukrainians as being mostly Nazis. That is, since this is not an analytical term, folk devils. Another is that the Russian army is poorly... Uh, you know, led and armed, ill-disciplined, resentful, and made up of recruits, many of whom were subjected to violent hazing after joining. They arrive on the battlefield already brutalized. But there's something so cynical about this brutality, whether it's the actions of the soldiers, the language of the Vox Pops on Russia streets, or the threats from pundits on state-sponsored current affairs shows. It's almost as if it comes from a place where such actions are seen as somehow inevitable. That always man will be wolf to man. Joseph Stalin oversaw the murders and death by starvation of millions. But I'm arguing that such a belief is intrinsic to Russians as a people. They want the same things as we do, to be happy for their children, to thrive, to become grandparents, to have some say over their own lives, to watch a good serial on TV and go to Disneyland. But as Karl Marx said, we are weighed down and hemmed in by our collective pasts, or rather, 
what we imagine our past to be. And the Russian past is centuries of brutality, often dressed up for its citizens as glory, as millions of eggs necessarily broken to attain victory. It is hard for us to imagine the psychological impact of this. But the background is that the Bolshevik era was marked by an appalling level of official murder and catastrophic policies right up to the mid-1950s, for which no one was held to account. Between 1930 and 1953, the ruling elite of the Soviet Union presided over the deportation of several million kulaks, a famine in Soviet Ukraine that killed up to 4 million people, the summary killing of up to 760,000 people, with 1.7 more sent to the gulags, were most perished. And no one was tried. No one was imprisoned. The victims had no redress, and at best could expect rehabilitation, very often posthumously. Unlike the Nazi leadership or its European collaborators, there were no Nuremberg's, no cyanide suicides, no long stretches in jail. Whereas mad old Rudolf Hess ended his days in the Spandau prison in Berlin in 1987, age 93. His Soviet counterpart, 96-year-old Molotov, succumbed to pneumonia in a Moscow hospital a year later. And his terrible colleague, the Iron Commissar, Lazar Kaganovich, who in his declining years liked to sit on a bench in a park to chat to people, lasted till 1991. Both had been intimately involved in all of Stalin's greatest acts of mass murder. Both had helped shape and administer the policies that caused the Ukrainian famine. Molotov had been in charge of the mass deportation of kulaks, and both had signed off on the murder of people during the great so-called revolution. One of the most chilling books I've read is the 1993, he says, translation of Molotov Remembers. The edited transcripts of 140 conversations he had with a biographer, Felix Chweb, in the 17 years before his death. It is wrong to call the tone unrepentant. Molotov did not feel he had anything but inevitable mistakes to be repentant for. What he had done had been for the best and generally had worked out well. Now, the author taxed him with the murders of so many old comrades, men like Jean Radzutak. Quote, he never confessed to anything about himself, unquote, said Molotov. He was executed by firing squad, a Politburo member. I don't think he was a conscious member of any faction, but he was too easy going about the opposition. That was unforgivable, said Molotov. He was asked, Molotov, about a case where he sent a list of women prisoner sentences for approval, and he altered one of 10 years in prison to being shot. Molotov said, I was authorized to have access to this list and to amend it, and so I did. Well, what was the charge against her? Who was she? It's of no importance, said Molotov. De-Stalinization led to no reckoning. Only during the brief period of perestroika, and then after the fall of the Berlin Wall, did it look as though there was a concerted attempt to get Russians to come to terms with their history. The archives were open, books were published, museums established. But as the historian Irina Sherbakova, a founding member of the Human Rights Organization Memorial, recalled in 2019... 
The early reformers leading Russia lacked interest in history. They were in a rush to build a market economy. They didn't see the link between successful economic reforms and the need for a vibrant civil society. So when things got tough and folks became nostalgic, even for the bad old days, Vladimir Putin was able gradually at first and then more completely to end any attempt at a mass understanding of Stalinism and its brutalities. Stalin, meanwhile, was being psychologically rehabilitated. In December last year, Sherbakova's memorial organization was shut down by the Russian courts. But by then, polls were showing 71% of Russians saying they had a positive attitude towards Stalin's role in their history. The head of the polling organization, Levada, wrote that Stalin was seen as a severe leader who could create order in the country. Maybe a bit like you-know-who, Putin. The young soldier sent to Ukraine was never taught in school about the Great Terror. It's not on the curriculum. But what he is almost certainly absorbed, even if subliminally, is the great national lesson that brutality is simply inevitable and that it works. When you have a declining society or a sick society, the masses, quote-unquote, are susceptible to believing fictions, to believing lies. They want to believe. They want to believe that there's something else other than the lives that they are leading. They want to believe that something can be done and someone can do it if they have adequate power. They want to believe that there's another way And they want to believe that it's not their fault. That it's the fault of somebody else. Rises Hitler. Rises Mao. Rises Lenin and Stalin. That's what you're seeing. This is how totalitarianism works. In our own country, we haven't reached that point, but you can see the effort to divide Americans, the constant attack on the civil society and our economic system, the war on energy independence, the war on merit and success, turning anger, the policies of the government toward private industry, oil, agriculture, meat processing, you name it. It's the same process. Again, I'm not talking about it in terms of as aggressive as these other regimes were, but it can reach a point where it explodes. It can reach a point where it explodes. This constant attacking of American history, attacking of our economic system, the war on our constitutional system. This is playing with fire. It's playing with fire. And a growing number of people in the country really fall into two camps. Those that become unbelievably upset and frustrated and push back and feel that they're pushed to the limit. And those who embrace the propaganda, 
and those who lose all hope and become loud, if not violent. That's what you're seeing. That's what's being done to this society. The ripping at the fabric of the civil society and the constitutional construct put in place to uphold it. That's what you're seeing in our classrooms, in our entertainment, in our news. With these various federal departments and agencies setting up these various units. Targeting parents. Targeting businesses. Targeting you as a citizen with open borders. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. Said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. I've got a whole list of clips, I'm not going to play them right now, in which one Democrat official after another blames inflation and the deterioration of our economy on the Republicans, on the virus, on Putin. They can't seem to get their story right, so they're using a shotgun approach here. Let me try it this way. The reason why Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and their whole phalanx of frauds, phonies, and fools cannot address inflation is because they created it. They would have to abandon their ideology in order to confront it. That's why it took a Ronald Reagan to destroy the inflation that was created by Jimmy Carter and the Democrats. And that's why it's going to take a conservative Congress at first and a conservative president to destroy inflation again. It requires cutting back on spending. It requires cutting back on debt. What the Democrats want to do is further expand government spending and borrowing. That will create a depression All the so-called experts on the business channels were telling you about a potential recession. We are going to have a recession. Just like I told you over a year ago, we're going to have inflation. If the Democrats get their way on spending trillions more and massive tax increases, we are going to have a depression. And they will continue to blame big this and big that and everybody else. 
But let me be the first to say it. I've been telling you, tell, <coughs> telling you this all week. Put the marker down because that's the history of the Great Depression. Where Franklin Roosevelt campaigned as a, you're not going to believe it, budget balancer. From his days as governor of New York. But what he was, was a massive big spender. And he adopted the socialist model. And they created all of these, these trusts, if you will. Shockingly, but believe it or not, these trusts. With the central government, the federal government had more and more bureaucracy. They would create more and more programs. They would oversee pricing, supply, profits, which you would find shocking today, I suppose. But that's what they did. And they created so-called work programs that were not really a lot of work. Mostly welfare. And the government got bigger and bigger, more and more powerful, more and more interventionist. It went from a bad recession to the Great Depression. That's why what takes place now is so crucially important. There's not a lot of room for any more mistakes. Here's Nancy Pelosi, cut 11, today, go. A lot of American people are dealing with is the economy, and, and we just got the latest numbers yeah. showing that it, that it dips slightly. Is this going to have any effect on the 2022 election come November, the midterm? Well, the, uh, I think this is an aberration. There are plenty other statistics and, and analysis that have said uh, this is a, an aberration, and there are many other factors that show that we have growth in our near future. Nobody, uh, nobody's saying that. Not a single serious economist is saying any of this. Even the Democrat economists are sort of running for the hill now. Nobody's saying this. They're not saying it's an aberration. They're no longer saying it's transitory. They're not saying it's short-lived. Nobody is saying this. Except Nancy Pelosi. She's an extraordinarily dangerous, dangerous woman in so many respects. I'll be right back. I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. Said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. If the world seems so confusing, Mike will be glad to clear that up for you. Call in now at 877-381-3811. So what's the Democrat Party answer? To address the inflation they created, the increase in gas prices they created, the shortages on our shelves, including food that they created. 
They have no answer to fix these things. And all of their answers would make it far worse. Massive tax increases on oil developing companies. Really? Massive tax increases on meat processing companies? Really? More central government control by ideologues who've never worked a cash register at a fast food restaurant? That's the answer, ladies and gentlemen. That's the answer. They wanted less oil. We have less oil. The problem is you have less oil. You have less natural gas. You have less electricity. And the prices go up. And we have not seen the end of this. We have not seen the end of this. And so they distract and they divert. That it's Putin. Putin is a monster, but he had nothing to do with this. Russia's economy is way too small. And we were energy independent. We didn't need Russia's oil. Period. Now fertilizer is up year to year by 128%. You think that has an effect on the price of produce at the store? And what do you think they put in tractors when they're harvesting? I think they put some kind of fuel. Last time I checked. And fuel is in virtually everything you can look at. Believe it or not. It's in your clothing. It's really everywhere. But that's bad enough. That wasn't bad enough. They devalued your currency. All you people on fixed incomes. All you people receiving social security. All you people who saved for years. With a private plan, an IRA or a 401k, you're seeing your savings melt away. The stock market is crashing. Nobody wants to use that word. I'll use that word. When it goes down almost 1,000 points in one day, it's crashing. Now, home prices are falling. Interest rates are rising. So the housing market is starting to hurt. The only markets that aren't hurting are the ones that invest in tangible goods like gold and silver and gems and coins and so forth. Artwork, if you can afford that. Because people are trying to find, particularly wealthier people, where to put their money. They don't want to keep it in cash. So there are big problems developing here. And the Democrats don't have any answers because they caused this. They want to transform a capitalist system to something else. It's capitalism that keeps our economy afloat. That's our economic system. They say they believe in equity and equality. I really believe they do because they're going to make us all poor. They're going to make us all poor. And you know, the funny thing about the Marxists is there can never be equality. Look at Cambodia. The horror. 25% of the people of Cambodia were slaughtered. 25% of the entire population. And they still hadn't achieved their idea of equality and equity under Marxism. Pol Pot a university grad, and his ideology. 
that he imposed on his country at the end of a rifle. So much slaughter. They reorganized society. They eliminated anybody who had a profession that they feared. And certainly anybody that would dare to speak. There's that goes that free speech again. People starving to death. And yet, if one peasant had a little bit more rice in their basket than another, that was inequality. The one who had a little more was the enemy of society, evil, a capitalist. This is what happens in these aggressive Marxist regimes. The Democrat Party cannot fix what it broke because this is its ideology at work. Mondaire Jones of New York, I don't know who the hell this guy is. I think he beat Congressman Engel, maybe. He's on MSNBC today. Cut 12, go. Even as we fight here, Democrats fight here to lower the prices of gas and groceries. That is of the utmost importance because Americans, as they are watching what happens abroad, of course, are feeling in their daily lives the pain at the pump, the pain at the grocery store. Oh, they're so worried about your pain at the pump and the pain at the grocery store. And Democrats are fighting to lower the price. How? What are they doing to lower the price? What are they doing? I'm just curious. What are they doing? Nothing. They're holding hearings and blaming somebody else. They should take credit for what they've created. But of course they won't. Because you're furious with them. Go ahead. Democrats have been calling out the major companies uh, in this country for price gouging, for taking advantage. There's no evidence of price gouging anywhere. The only price gouging going on is big government and the Democrat Party. We now live in the United States of the Democrat Party. That's what we live in. The United States of the Democrat Party. I've said it before. It's their economic policies. It's their immigration policies. It's their currency and finance policies. It's their so-called criminal justice policies. We are living in the United States of the Democrat Party. Now, if you can flee to a couple of states, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, you have some hope, but they want to federalize everything. Federalize the election process, federalize the criminal justice process, federalize it all. So we're all living in the United States of the Democrat Party. They're calling out big corporations. Big corporations to that, together, excuse me, <clears throat> can't cause inflation. It's massive borrowing and spending that causes inflation. Anybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Period. Price gouging? Seriously? These are the same companies... That we're not price gouging 18 months ago. All of a sudden they're price gouging. Insanity. But there's enough people who will believe it. What was I talking about last hour? When a society is in decline. A civil society is in decline. People want to believe. So in comes Mondaire Jones. Who wants them to believe. That he's for the little guy. That he's fighting for the little guy. And but for these big guys. Everything would be great. Go ahead. 
inflation. Of course, inflation has been made worse because of Vladimir Putin's unjust war in Ukraine. Uh, and you'll see Congress, Democrats. Inflation has nothing to do with the war in Ukraine. Zero. They were creating inflation before the war in Ukraine. They were creating inflation as soon as they passed these multi-trillion dollar bills. We called it here. We're not alone. Everybody knew it, including them. Go ahead. Continue to try to pass legislation and overcome Republican obstruction to make the cost of living for Americans, especially Republican in this Republican obstruction, which is trying to prevent them from spending trillions more. Trillions more. Let's hope the Republican obstruction continues when it comes to that and the rest of their war on the country. Critical race theory and all the rest of it. Where are we, Mr. Producer? Here we are. So the perpetrators of these, and I'll call it what it is, un-American acts that cause, in effect, a massive tax increase on people who can least afford it. I mean, honestly, I filled up my Traverse, my Chevy Traverse. I filled it up and was 80-some bucks. 80-some bucks. Obviously, I can afford it, but I was thinking to myself, and we've had this discussion in my family, how come somebody on minimum wage afford this, Mr. Producer? How can they afford to fill up their fill up their car, go to the grocery store, buy basic foods, buy clothing for their kids, and so forth and so on? How can they afford it? When the value of their money is going down and the cost of these products and services are going up. It's going to become harder and harder. And many of you are included in this. And many people, perhaps not listening, live in these districts like this Mondaire Jones and other districts, AOC and so forth, where the ideology of the party that they vote for has done this to them. That's why they're out there swinging away at big fill in the blank, at the Republicans have done this, they won't help us bring down the rates. And that's why it's so crucial that they have a media that reach into these communities and lie to these people about what's taking place in this country. Lie to them. Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, and every single Democrat on the ballot in November is responsible for this. Every single one. There are no moderate Democrats in the House or the Senate of the United States. Every one of them will vote for Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker. Every one of them will vote for Chuck Schumer to be the majority leader. Every one of them will support their man, Joe Biden. They've destroyed our economy. They've destroyed our immigration system. They've destroyed the value of our currency. They've destroyed law enforcement in this country, and they're not done. They're not done. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. Said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does, and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Van Jones was on CNN today. He's, he's been an avowed Marxist, certainly in the past. And, uh, well, he's trying to tell the Democrats, uh, hello, we have a problem. Cut 14, go. The president's approval rating is down overall, not just sure. among black voters here. Sure. What do you think is going on? There? Inflation. Inflation. I mean, listen, I mean, that's uh, uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, ordinary folks, when they're looking at uh, their bills and they're looking at gas prices when they're up. Republicans, uh, not Republicans, presidents suffer. So that part of it is baked into the cake. But I think that when you have a community that feels that it rescued the Democratic Party, maybe rescued American democracy, and can't get police reform done after George Floyd, that there's something wrong, and that disappointment factor is starting to show up. Did the Democrats overpromise? Overpromise, underdelivered so far. How so? Well, again, th- this idea, well, look, Trump was here, he's terrible, we're going to replace him, and, and we're going to give you 100% of what you want with 50% of the votes in the Senate. The math never made sense. So you could pass these big bills through the House, but you couldn't even sometimes get a hearing in the Senate. And so you begin over, the, by the time you get to summertime, it's like, hey, I'm hearing all this good stuff supposed to be happening, but it's never getting signed by the president. And so when you overpromise so much in the beginning of the year and you're underdelivering at the end of the year, and don't forget, build back better, et cetera, you suddenly wind up with a disappointment factor plus inflation. Cut 15, go. Well, I think that there's a disappointment uh, factor that, that's set in. Um, I think uh, a lot of black voters feel like the, the black community gave the most uh, during the election, as a historic election, I'll tell you what I think. He's partly right and he's partly wrong because he's a radical leftist, even though he's relatively sober in his analysis. And it's this the black community is socially conservative. They don't like this stuff about a transgender agenda being taught to little kids. They don't like it. Most Americans don't like it. But that community is considered, at least in the past, to be fairly conservative. It is a heavy church-going community. It truly is. And just like Hispanic minorities, although everybody's different, every individual's different, I don't think they like all the, the racial hatred being spewed either about the critical race theory and that you cannot make it in America. I think there's a, a, a significant percentage of the population that says, I know that's BS. I mean, you have black men and women who have fought in the United States military, who serve in the police, who serve in the uh, fire, firefighters and so forth. So I think the agenda is so radical that they're turning off really everybody. 
In November of 2020, the Democrats were up to no good. They were planning to pull off the greatest scheme of election fraud ever. They didn't think we would catch them, but we did. Find out what they did and how they did it in the brand new documentary film called 2000 Mules, directed and narrated by renowned filmmaker and our buddy Dinesh D'Souza, and executive produced by Salem Media Group, with research from truethevote.org. What a team. 2000 Mules tells the story of the ones who tried to hijack a presidential election. And you'll see the actual video surveillance tapes. You'll see how they tracked their cell phones to box after box as they got paid to carry out this illegal scheme. Watch the movie and decide for yourselves. Attend a limited-release premiere of 2000 Mules on May 2nd or May 4th. Check your local listings and get your tickets today at 2000mules.com. 2000mules.com. Folks, that's 2000mules.com. You really don't want to miss this. That's 2000mules.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. It's Friday. We don't kick our feet up and think about the weekend. No, no, no. Our foot is down on the gas pedal. We need more than three hours. I'm quite serious about this. We need more than three hours. But this is all I've got. I've taken, sadly, very few calls this entire week. So I'm going to start this hour in a way I never start an hour with calls. And then we'll move into more of the substantive issues that I want to discuss. But I want to take some of your calls now. Let us go to uh, uh, Eric, excuse me, in Gordon, Tennessee, XM Satellite. Eric, how are you, sir? Speak to me. Eric, are you there? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hannah, Summit, New Jersey, the great WABC. How are you, Hannah? What's going on, boys? Should we try another? Felicia, Buffalo, New York, XM Satellite. How are you, Felicia? I'm fine. Oh, How are you? Phones. Oh, wait. Is that Felicia? Yes. Okay. How are you? It's Felicia. Yes. Go Hi, right ahead, how are Felicia. you? Good. Thank you. I would like to say I appreciate everything that you do. Aren't you, you really sweet? are a, a warrior. Thank you. <laughs> well, you really are. So let me say this. I had a thought today. Yeah. I just thought if Trump ran again, uh-huh. and let's say he won, which I think yep. he would, mm-hmm. DeSantis. They're both leaders. If yep. DeSantis would take maybe one step back and let Trump get that four year, the next four years, because it mm-hmm. was stolen from him, in my opinion. If mm-hmm. they let Trump get the next four years, let him do what Trump do, because nobody can do it like him. Mm-hmm. Let him do what he do. Have DeSantis as VP. Had DeSantis come in, you know, as VP. Oh, you want DeSantis as the VP then? Trump DeSantis. Huh? 
You're, right. you're saying you want to so ticket if, Trump to Santos. There you go. So yeah, now, that, when yeah. Trump done, and Trump, his record is good as far as when he um, taps the body, they mm-hmm. become elected. Have mm-hmm. him, you know, um, speak up for DeSantis, have DeSantis run. I'm sure he will win. I'm sure mm-hmm. he will win. Have him run, that's eight more years. That's 12 years. 12 years to uh, get these Democrats and put them in check. Fix the country. That was my thought. Well, you're a smart lady. That would be very, very interesting. I don't know what's going to happen, but that would be very, very interesting. I think it's Trump's if he wants it, in my opinion. I think it's Trump's if he wants it. Uh, There are some people who may also want it. I think Pompeo is running. Uh, I don't know who else is. I don't know that. I'm just assuming it. Uh, I think Pence is running. I can't think of everybody else. Probably Nikki Haley, people like that. But uh, I think that Trump takes up the room, if you know what I mean, by personality and so forth. But we'll see. It'll be fascinating. Very, very good call. Thank you. All right. Let's try again. Hannah, Summit, New Jersey. Very nice place, by the way, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Hannah? I'm very well, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, I, I was calling because, uh, I actually wanted to, to thank you for everything. Um, my dad was the biggest conservative. He actually passed away on Thursday. Oh, but, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm it's okay. Sorry. We're getting through. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he always listened to you from the time I was little. It didn't matter, matter if he was in the kitchen cooking, if he was driving us to practice, if, the radio was on and it hit 6 p.m. It was time for Mark. And when I was younger and didn't quite understand, I would groan, groan about it a lot. Mm-hmm. But I came to, to love it. And it, it really became a core memory listening to you. You're where I got a lot of my conservative values from that I, I'm now carrying with me through through college and through life. And I, I just really want to thank you for that, for, for everything for these sweet. last 20 years. Oh, well, I'm very, very sorry about your dad. What was his name? Jeff Feinberg. He called in many times. Jeff Feinberg. I remember Jeff. And he <laughs> passed away. What did he... Pa- I don't want to upset you. I won't. I won't. So call, you know, call us in a few months. So I'd like to know more about your dad, you know? Of course. And you're a college student now? Yes, I'm at Trinity College. Okay. Well, that's, is that a good college? I don't even know. Yes, it's it's very good. It's actually it's my dad's alma mater, so he he was very proud that I'm here. Well, we're very proud of you. I want to thank you very, very much, Hannah, and God bless your family. Thank you, Mark. All right. You take care of yourself. That's tough. I love calls like this. I love when I bump into people who talk about how they listen to me and their father and mother listen to me and so forth. You never know. One day I may not be here in your community, on your station. You never know. All kinds of forces at work out there. You just never know. Let us continue. Let us go to John in Morton, Illinois, Sirius Satellite. John, go right ahead, please. Oh, Mark, thank you for taking my call. I, 
You bet. Just wanted to say that the previous caller, Hannah, uh, boy, that was a great call. You're very compassionate, and my heart goes out to her as well, too. Oh. Condolences. Yeah. Uh, hey, what, what I wanted to ask you, Mark, I've always been wanting to run this by you, but I was thinking, um, um, what, how difficult would it be to get, a, uh, get a, 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 something going, like an amendment or a bill, and, and, and the idea is call it a truth in legislation bill or a truth in legislation amendment. And the idea is it would be illegal for any politician to add an amendment to a bill that is not reasonably related to the title of the bill. Well, you know, there's a, you would have to amend the Constitution because the rules of the House and the rules of the Senate under the Constitution are set by those bodies. Now, it's interesting you bring this up. There's something called a germaneness rule in the Senate that it has to have some relevance, and they violate it all the time. They violate it all the time. Um, I don't know that the Senate and the House would agree to such a thing when they're the ones who they're the perpetrators. And you would need two-thirds vote of both houses and then three-fourths of the uh, states. I suppose it could be part of, of the, uh, the Article 5 movement that's taking place in the country. It's certainly worth thinking about. Uh, but that's the only way it could happen. Okay. I wonder if another way is if maybe we can get it somehow on the Republican you know, platform, that that would be something they would promise to try to push through. I mean, I know both parties. You still buy. need two-thirds of both houses and three-fourths of the states, or you need a convention of states, whether it's in the GOP platform or not. And look, as long as you have Mitch McConnell there, there's no hope of getting anything done that we want done legislatively. I'm just being honest. The guy is a disaster. Look, he's been there forever. Have we moved the conservative agenda very much under Mitch McConnell when they control the Senate, sir? I don't think so. Yeah, I think you're right. He's a loser. I think you're right. And they keep voting him into that slot. All right, my brother. Thank you for your call. Jerome, Baltimore, Maryland. You're listening on the great WMAL. Go quickly, my friend. Okay, Master uh, Levin, thank you. Uh, yes, sir. Instead of calling the Disinformation Governance Board, I suggest they call it the Knowledge Invortis Board or, or Knowledge Governance Board. The KGB. <laughs> That's not bad. I kind of like that. Yeah. We'll call it the cage. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jerome. That's not bad, Mr. Producer. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The Attorney General of Arizona is running in the Republican primary for the Senate. I've endorsed him. Hannity has endorsed him. Mark Burnovich, he's done a superb job there. Mr. Attorney General, how are you, sir? I am doing well, the great one. So good to have, to have you or be on your show again. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. All right, you have been really taking the lead in many respects, on trying to secure this border, as you can understand, being in a border state of Arizona, you have thrown litigation after litigation against this administration, all constitutionally and statutorily based, not frivolous. And you have uh, you and a couple other attorneys general, you have at least a temporary restraining order against Biden and against the Department of Justice and this administration to do 
what? Well, the, we, we actually had two big things going on in federal court this week, Mark. The first one was in our Title 42 lawsuit, which uh, Louisiana and Missouri took the lead on with us. Our lawyers argued it, and we essentially got a, not essentially, we got a temporary restraining order from a federal judge that said the Biden administration cannot stop, um, or they, they have to stop trying to revoke Title 42 early. We know that they were doing things to undermine that, and this uh, I'm sure your listeners all know that Title 42 was one of the last things we had remaining in place that allowed the Border Patrol, the allowed folks, border officials, to stop people from entering the country and make them go back to uh, Mexico and eject them from the United States without letting them step on soil and grant them asylum. So it was a big deal because now we'll be back in court on May 13th to continue to argue the legal merits. And hopefully at that time, the judge will issue an injunction that will say that they cannot revoke Title 42 contrary to the law or unilaterally. You know, I can't think of anybody in the state of Arizona who's done more in terms of actual activity, real action, to try and take on this administration and secure the border than you. I can't think of another person. I can't think of the sitting senators, both Democrats, candidates running against you, the congressman. I mean, you're the guy who's bringing litigation like this. You're the guy who makes the argument that we have an actual invasion and states have a right to defend themselves under the federal constitution. I go down an entire list of the things that you are trying to do to secure the border of your state. And I haven't even gotten to the other things you're doing. This is why I've endorsed you, because it's one thing for people to say, here's what I'm going to do. And you're able to say, here's what I'm doing and here's what I've been doing. Is that give us a few more examples? Well, Mark, as you know, talk is cheap. And there's a lot of folks in this world that talk stuff for every two, four or six years, say they're going to do X, Y and Z. And they don't. And so from the beginning, whether it was suing Biden or excuse me, suing Obama, even during my first term as AG or now, we've taken on the Biden administration. I literally, as you know, I was on your show when we were talking about, I personally argued the U.S. Supreme Court against the public charge rule revocation the Biden administration was doing, which would grant welfare or social benefits to people that didn't have legal status. We sued the Biden administration over his failure to build the border wall. We sued them over the reign of Mexico policy. We just won the TRO over the of Title 42 revocation. And literally just this week, we let a lawsuit our lawyers filed suing the Biden administration for his attempt to allow DHS to grant asylum to migrants instead of having federal immigration judges do it. And this is one of the things, Mark, a lot of times folks talk about well, what's the Biden administration doing with decriminalizing, incentivizing illegal immigration? This, folks, is the key. This is the one-two punch where now you're going to have millions of people here illegally, and the Biden administration wants to allow bureaucrats, apparatchiks, and I don't use that term lightly, apparatchiks within the Department of Homeland Security bureaucrats to grant asylum to migrants. And that essentially is... Um, the path to citizenship, and essentially we have de facto amnesty. It's happening right now, and as you said, I'm one of the only guys in this country that's in the courtroom every single day fighting it, not just, you know, talking about it. Now, this is frightening because we have administrative law judges. Historically, those are the people who decide these cases. So what they've done is they've overwhelmed the system. These administrative law judges are overwhelmed. 
And so you're exactly right. They're basically going to say to bureaucrats, we won't know who they are. We don't know their faces. We don't know where they are. They're just going to keep rubber stamping. All right, you're in, you're in, you're in, you're in. One after another, after another. And we know a lot of leftists burrow into these bureaucracies and so forth. This is crucially important for the American people to understand. They want to get rid of this Rule 42. Then you have no basis for deportation with this administration because they're frauds and they're fakes. And then you're going to have, as you just said, on the spot, de facto amnesty. Now, it seems to me, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, there's also Article 2 of the United States Constitution that the president of the United States is to take care that the laws are enforced. Is he enforcing the laws, Mr. Attorney General? No. And, Mark, you know my family, my parents fled communism, so I don't say these things lightly. But you and I both have a passion for the rule of law, and we see, we have seen the Marxist playbook being used in our public schools, in our universities, and by the federal government. And the president, what the president has done is he is failing to take charge and protect this country. And frankly, it is up to Washington, D.C., the people in the House, people in the Senate, not only should they be uh, impeaching Mayorkas for not doing his job, and literally the blood of American citizens are on his hands, but President Biden is not doing his constitutional duties, and he has ceded control of our southern border to the cartels. Americans are dying as a result of that, so we are paying the cost in lives as a result of fentanyl and methamphetamine flowing into this country. The gangs taking control and becoming more powerful in our cities, and then you throw on top of it the fact that he is not only meeting his—he's not meeting his constitutional duties. He's not meeting his statutory duties. For example, under Title Eight of you know deporting people that have deportation orders. So we sued him over that. Uh, it, it is absolutely mind-boggling because you have a, a neo-Marxist administration that is essentially rewriting our immigration laws and at the same time not meeting their constitutional obligations. It truly, this is when the framers talked about impeachable offenses. This is what they were talking about. I agree 100%. Now, let's move to a couple other issues. Yes, sir. Inflation. I mean, this is unbelievable. Uh, this guy inherits an economy that is vigorous, that is growing, that it's coming out from under the pandemic. And what do they do? They spend us into inflation. They borrow us into inflation. They choke off uh, fossil fuels. Uh, and then they want to investigate the victims, the industries that are under attack. Uh, and then they say uh, there's really nothing that they can do about it as a senator. I mean, what do you what would you say? What would you do? How would you try and rally the troops on Capitol Hill? First and foremost, we all need to understand that any government that's big enough to give you everything is big enough to take it away. And what we've seen in the last year and a half is the systematic failure of you know uh, uh, socialism and the federal government overreach. So you have a federal government that had all these you know COVID bills that ejected a bunch of money that we didn't have, that we couldn't afford to pay for, that was literally spending millions of dollars on golf course irrigation, that was literally $100 billion wasted, fraud and abuse. And so you have all this money going to the economy, and then simultaneously the Biden administration is, you know, limiting exploration. They're canceling pipelines, and so they're making us energy dependent on third world tyrants and dictators like vladimir putin and countries like venezuela and can I you uh, can you hold on i want to carry yes, you through the break yes sir great attorney general mark burnovich of arizona seeks to be a u.s senator has my full support we'll be right back
In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. This is the Octagon of Talk Radio, the Mike Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. By the way, uh, multi-billionaire Peter Thiel is trying to buy the uh, Senate race in Arizona the way he's trying to buy the Senate race in Ohio. So he's back to different candidate. And um, another candidate that does not have a conservative pedigree, from my perspective, So, um, I don't know, is Peter Thiel going to buy the Republican Party by the time this is over? So, I choose who I want to choose, based on their record, based on their philosophy, and based on my own experience of 40 years as a conservative, really more than that, quite frankly, 50 years. Uh, Whether it was Reagan in 76, in 80, and so forth. We're back with Mark Burnovich, who's the Arizona Attorney General, who has been really punching holes in the Biden administration's outrageous lawlessness when it comes to immigration and other issues. We've been talking about inflation, obviously. We've been talking about gas prices. What about this uh, this war on voting, Mr. Attorney General, where the Democrats keep taking a run at nationalizing the state voting systems to make them in such a way where they can never lose? Yeah, Mark, the the far left is trying to consolidate power in D.C. So whether it's socializing the economy or nationalizing our election, they keep doing things that are inconsistent with the Constitution. As you know, the Constitution provides time, place, and manner for elections. It's supposed to be left up to the states. And as you also know, because we've talked about this before, Last year at the U.S. Supreme Court, I personally argued Brnovich v. DNC, where the Supreme Court clearly said the states have the power to enact common-sense election integrity measures, and the states can do this. And, you know, the DNC sued because they were trying to prevent states from limiting ballot harvesting. So I defended successfully at the U.S. Supreme Court the ability of states to enact common-sense measures like limitations on ballot harvesting, and no less than Jimmy Carter said the greatest threat to election integrity was third-party handling of ballots and uh, harvesting and mail-in ballots. We also fought for the ability of states to limit voting, to increasing voting. And we know now in Arizona that we did an interim report on the last election, and we still haven't completed it, but literally you have chain of custody issues with, you know, 20% of these ballots that are at unsecured drop boxes that where there's no monitoring and no security. And, you know, it's, it's problematic because everyone, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, we have to have faith in the electoral process. And the answer is not 
having Washington, D.C. try to do a one-size-fits-all problem because what works in Manhattan, Kansas, is different than Manhattan, New York, and different than Manhattan Beach, California. So we cannot nationalize this problem because the left wants to control it. We have to leave this up to the states, and the states have to take it upon themselves to enact common-sense election integrity measures, uh, limitations on restrictions on ballot harvesting, voter ID laws, ensuring only citizens can vote in our elections. So there are things that the states have to do and should do. So everyone, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican, has confidence in the outcome and the results of every single election. My goodness, Mark, we are not Venezuela, we're not some third world country. We should be able to get elections right, and we everyone should be have to show their ID and prove that they're eligible to vote in order to vote. Now, Mr. Attorney General, we see crime rising all across the country. We see murder rates unbelievably yeah. through the roof. We see that Soros has backed prosecutors yeah. who do not believe in prosecuting criminals. Um, if you're a United States senator, one of the things that amazes me is the extent to which this is ignored at the Washington and congressional level and the extent to which George Soros's activities are not even questioned. Yeah, you know, law enforcement, police, you know, public health safety were traditionally issues left to the states. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer that we don't need to federalize every, you know, law enforcement issue. But when it comes to issues like the cartels and transnational and um, gangs that, you know, go across state lines, obviously the federal government has a role there, but we don't need the federal government over-criminalizing, you know, someone for spitting on the sidewalk, so to speak. And the reality is I was a gang prosecutor. I, I began my career as a prosecutor. I've also been a, a federal prosecutor. So I've stood toe-to-toe with the baddest of the bad. And I will tell you, when I ran in 2018, you know, I'd never run for officer. I ran for AG. I was elected. And when I was running for re-election, um, Tom Steyer spent more than $7 million attacking me, uh, running all these negative ads. And it's because the left wants to control prosecutor's office. They want to control DA offices. They want to control attorney general's office because they understand the power. That, that comes with that. And that's why we say when you're a prosecutor, you can take away people's livelihoods, life, liberty, property. It's an awesome responsibility because, you know, you have to do what the rule of law requires. And clearly, whether it's Tom Steyer, George Soros, you know, even, you know, Zuckerberg giving all this money last election cycle to Democratic election officials, the left is using their money and resources in order to try to basically co-opt every branch of government. And this is all part of, you know, the neo-Marxist vision, uh, you know, the American Marxism that you've talked about before. And it's happening right under our noses. And that's why I'm running for the Senate. You know, Mark, I can't stand politics, but I love this country. I'm a first-generation American, and I just believe we're in the fight of our lives right now. And, you know, Reagan, you know, you mentioned how Ronald Reagan, his greatness, how he came in that that key moment in history. And right now we need folks that understand the Constitution and the rule of law to stand up because, you know, 25 years from now, I don't want my kids saying, what did you do when America slid down the path to serfdom? My God, I'm going to stand up and fight, and that's what I've been doing. Outstanding. And uh, as I as I discuss on this program often, I have candidates on and people say, well, you got a candidate from Pennsylvania, a candidate from Mahog. You're a United States senator. Obviously, it's relevant to the state you come from, but it's relevant to the whole country because you vote on issues that have a national consequence. And I am very careful about whom I endorse. It doesn't matter to me who anyone else endorses. I tend to endorse earlier than others 
I look at the field and so forth. I don't like billionaires stepping in and trying to buy these seats one state to the other. As a matter of fact, I think you've raised less money than most of the other candidates because you're kind of focused on your job. Isn't that true? Yeah, Mark. The, the, the irony is, is that the greatest criticism people have of me is like, oh, well, you know, you don't raise money. And it's like, look, I'm a public school kid. I've never belonged to the country club. So I got to do things the old fashioned way, which means working my tail off. And I've got a full time job. Unlike all these other guys that are being funded by out of state millionaires or whatever, I got a job to do. And that literally means sometimes having to go all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And whether it was, you know, remember, I filed the first lawsuit against the Biden administration's unconstitutional vaccine mandate. You know, we've sued him. Obviously, a lot of these border lawsuits, we've been involved in suing over the carbon rules. We have an investigation going on right now, antitrust with ESG and all that that's doing to harm, you know, our energy independence. So, and by the way, I ESG, in, let's tell them what ESG is the left wing politicization of these corporations. Yeah, it's, it's the, I did an op-ed on this a little bit ago in the Wall Street Journal. It's, it stands for Environmental Social Governance Movement. And this is an attempt basically by, you know, the, the banks, the financial institutions to essentially coerce, um, uh, to limit the ability of capital to flow to industries that are not favored by the left. So we're already seeing mm-hmm. this in oil and gas, a 25% reduction in investments in the last two years. We're seeing it with firearms. And so the left is going to use the very mechanism of capitalism. capitalism essentially, uh, you know, as Lenin mm-hmm. used to talk about, the capitalists would sell the rope to hang themselves with. Right now, the left is trying to use capital institutions like banks and financial institutions to advance their left-wing, hard-left political agenda. So I'm fighting that as well. The point being is I am a public school kid, a first generation. I need all the help I can get, Mark. People can always go to Burno for AZ.com, B-R-N-O-F-O-R-A-Z.com. Our mutual friend Sean Hannity says it's the worst name for a website. So I actually, if you go to Mark B for AZ.com, M-A-R-K-B for AZ.com, you can also go there, find out more about all I'm doing on the political side. Um, you know, and obviously you can always go to AZAG uh, as the Attorney General find out what we're doing on our official All right, let me, let me just slow down. Go to Sorry. Mark B, M-A-R-K-B. For az.com. We will post it. Now I'm on Twitter back again. On Twitter yeah. and all our other wonderful sites. That's Mark B for Arizona.com. Ladies and gentlemen, for we AZ. the grassroots. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, it, we, az.com. We, the people. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. See, this what is what I, I, I should quit while I was ahead. I learned that as a pro. It's M A R K B F O R A Z.com. Yeah. Kind of rhymes now. Mark okay. B for az.com. We will post this, folks. And it's very important that we help because we need these solid people in Congress. That's how we got Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and so many others. All right, my friend. God bless you. Good luck. We'll talk later. All right. Take care. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, America... You heard it here first, as you do so much. I believe before his term is over that the 25th Amendment will be invoked to remove Joe Biden, and I believe it'll be the Democrats pushing for it. It's not that anybody wants Kamala Harris. I believe, and I say this with as much integrity as I have, which is a lot, that it's becoming obvious that he has dementia and that it's advancing. 
Again, this isn't a cheap shot. It's becoming obvious that Biden has dementia and it's advancing. And that he's not going to be able to survive three years in office like this. And it'll be the Democrats who want to remove him as much as they're not fans of Kamala Harris because it's going to become utterly dysfunctional. Utterly dysfunctional. President Trump calls for the release of texts of Obama's chief of staff related to the 2016 election. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a terrific idea. Because the Obama administration sought to undermine Trump during the election, in my view, and was thoroughly involved with Hillary Clinton and the DNC and their own government, of course, were trying to sabotage the election. Why don't we get to see those texts, ladies and gentlemen? Can you imagine what's in there? Oh, my goodness. But Obama, for some reason, is untouchable. He's immune. He's historic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, every Friday, we play America.
folks, the week is officially over. The weekend begins now. Please watch us on Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox. If you can't watch us live right now, go ahead and set your recorder on your DVR up. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our trucker brothers and sisters, and our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Indy. And good night, beautiful little Barney. Have a wonderful weekend, folks. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom.